This week's episode may contain language that some might not find to be their cup of tea for younger ears. While there will be nothing too graphic nor racy, I would rate this one at PG-13. So just use discretion. Thanks. Science and the medical industry have truly come a long way over the course of our history as a species. And with it, have come advancements that have helped us to better understand the ways in which our bodies work and function best, as well as how to heal and protect ourselves from an invisible world of threats. Of course, that kind of progress doesn't come without a few strange twists and turns as we look back on the steps that have been taken and the innovations that are on the horizon. So, welcome, my loves. I'm Rocket Fox. Join me this week as we embrace the strange with stories of strange medicine, both past and present. Anyone who knows me, whether personally, in passing, or even as we know each other through this podcast, I would hope that one thing that would come as no surprise is that I try to be as honest as possible. I try to share from the heart, tell things the way I truly believe them, and always, always try to avoid blowing needless smoke up anyone's ass. Now, while that might seem like a left butt cheek turn, bear it all with me while we enter our first story. Today, when I make mention of puffing smoke where the sun doesn't shine, it means to give a compliment that is insincere or patronizing. But believe it or not, this saying holds its strange roots in the annals of medical history. In modern times, we look at a lot of medical practices differently than people did hundreds, even tens of years ago. That's part of the magic of scientific strides and progress. Doctors tend not to freely dole out cocaine, at least none of mine do, and bloodletting seems to be a thing of the past. It was a big change for both the medical and cultural world when the shift from cigarettes from being healthy to harmful took place. But before all of that in the 1700s, tobacco was used frequently in attempts to cure a wide range of maladies, from headaches to cancer to, well, on occasion, drowning. In 1746, a man was horrified to find that, through perhaps accident or mishap, his wife had nearly drowned. Familiar with the medical practices of the time, as pioneered by Richard Mead just a year earlier, though repurposed by European settlers, as with many things, from the Native Americans they witnessed using the dried leaves in their own medicines, the man did something that would go down in historical record, and probably not in the way that he 
nor his wife would have envisioned. He reached for his pipe, placed the mouthpiece into his wife's rectum, lit the pipe end, and blew. <gasps> now, there's no telling whether the smoke itself had any direct impact, or if having a pipe mouthpiece unceremoniously poked up your backside and a fire lit far too close to some very delicate real estate was the real culprit. But she did in fact wake up, perhaps jolt up, perhaps scream, perhaps cuss the husband out, throw a punch, just stare in disbelief. However it panned out, this would be one of the first events on record of an instance of smoke up the butt. And if this seems too fantastical to be true, just wait. It gets better. This, apparently, became a sort of drowning go-to, and by 1774, the Institution for Affording Immediate Relief to Persons Apparently Dead from Drowning was formed by doctors William Hawes and Thomas Cogan. I'm not entirely sure how common it was for persons to appear apparently dead from drowning, but my resource shared that the institution would offer four guineas to anyone who, quote, successfully revived the apparent dead, which by today's money would be around $756, or 553 pounds, roughly. I'm not really sure what kind of proof would have been required or how apparently dead the subject needed to be, but I digress. It was enough that people were very ready to save anyone who might suffer a watery calamity, and tobacco enema kits were placed along the Thames in the way that fire extinguishers in a large building might be today. Only fire extinguishers for your butt. Now, the butt may seem like a questionable place for smoke, for... So many reasons. Uh, but the thinking of the time was because the victim's nose or mouth would often be so filled with water that the butt was the only remaining way in. Of course, I know you're wondering about the process, so let's not keep it on the back burner. The victim would be taken somewhere warm and dry, where they would then be stripped of some or all of their clothing, then laid on their side, not unlike today's recovery position. Next, a long, thin tube would be used with the assistance of either a bellows or by the mouth to blow smoke into the victim, into their butt, who then became a victim of a whole different kind. At the time, tobacco would only be used for men due to the uncanny strength of their backsides. For women and children, it was suggested to use smoke from rosemary or majorum. In 1811... Ben Brody made the little discovery that nicotine was toxic, so the practice fell, well, out of practice. However, interestingly enough, there are actually similarities to this smoky recovery method and what is used today. You see, many drowning victims actually tend to die of hypothermia and not a lack of oxygen especially in Britain, which is not known for the balmy temperature and where a lot of this practice took place. So when modern cold water victims are pulled to safety, they are checked for their breath, 
and heartbeat, with all of the proper practices going into play, such as CPR. Once they're breathing, they will be undressed to remove all of the cold and wet clothing, and then kept warm with heating pads and blankets. Then, they're given hot air into the body via warm oxygen through a tracheal tube. So the similarities being the undressing and air into the body, the differences being understanding how and why the process works, other practices that makes the whole procedure more effective, the air is not smoke, and it's not blown up one's butt. All of which are advancements I think I can say that I completely stand behind. The only difference between then and now that does bring a bit of sadness into my heart is the name of the institution. While Royal Humane Society may have a bit more of a proper and official tone to it, nothing quite holds a flame quite like the institution for affording immediate relief to persons apparently dead from drowning. And that's no smoke up anyone's ass. You know I had to say it. The next story I have for you is both a marvel of modern medicine and a huge credit to the magic of the human body. Shreya Sidanagaurar was 18 years old in 2016 when a disaster struck her life. She was in a terrible bus accident in which she lost both of her hands. After the accident, both of her arms were amputated beneath the elbow, and her life, as I can't even imagine, drastically changed. Now, there are many, many people who live amazing and incredible lives on all different levels of physical abilities, whether hands are involved or not, and I want to definitely take the time to make sure to say that. And even for those who go through accidents where they may lose an arm or hand, technology has come thus that prosthetics have become not only more realistic in appearance, but robotic cybernetic, delicate, 3D-printed, and astounding in ways that completely blow my mind. However, this isn't a story about prosthetics. As on March 7th of 2017, Shreya went under for a 13-hour surgery where she received Asia's first intergender and double-hand transplant, meaning she received two hands and forearms, I'm guessing, from a young man, 21, who unfortunately had died in a bicycle accident. There is so much about this process that is so amazing and so otherworldly when I try to put myself in that situation. Bearing in mind, the hands and arms were that of a young man, so their size and shape were more masculine than the ones she had likely been accustomed to. Additionally, they were of a much darker skin tone than hers. And also, they were someone else's hands! I'll be honest, that I think I would have a really odd time getting past that. However, I also can't imagine that Shreya would have been anything other than grateful to ultimately just have hands back. 
She spent the next year and a half in physical therapy, learning to use them and honing her motor control as I envisioned the nerve endings, bone bits, muscle fibers, and veins all began to fuse. But something else interesting happened there as well. The arms and hands both began to lean out and grow more feminine in appearance. The other truly fascinating change that took place is that the skin changed, growing lighter until it matched Shreya's regular tone. While there is more research that needs to be done, some theories on why this is happening include both the new hand and arm muscles adapting to their new host through re-innervation, <laughs> when the nerves send signals and the muscles function according to the body's needs. So says Kitaki Doke, who is a physiotherapist who worked with Shreya in her home city. Additionally, there is the hypothesis that her body produces less melatonin than the body of the previous hand's owner. Thus, the skin color began to change. Still, doctors are keeping an eye and trying to understand exactly how and why these changes have taken place. And as it stands, according to John Hopkins Medicine, fewer than 100 people worldwide have received hand transplants, so there certainly is a lot to monitor and still to learn on how hosts receive the hands and the hands receive the body with a really limited pool to look at. Still, it is a testament to how far we've come from hooks and peg legs and what procedures the trained among us are able to accomplish. And even more interestingly, it is a look at how amazing we are as our bodies and, well, introduced body parts are able to adapt together in the most surprising of ways. And it really makes me optimistic on the role that even my body could play after I've passed. Now, if I could just talk somebody into giving me their skull after they're gone, I don't know what the problem is. It's not like they're going to need it. Besides, I treat all of my bones very well. <sighs> oh, well. <laughs> I have for you this week is a glimpse into the future, a bold new world where medicine, the body, and produce meet. That's right, I'm talking vegetables, and this is a story that is truly amazing and also straight out of the pages of The Twilight Zone, in my humble opinion. In the same year that Shreya Sidanagowder received her hand transplants, scientists at Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts were creating a visual nightmare, ah, I mean wonder, 
One area of medical science that is always being closely studied and developed is that in repair to damaged organs and tissue. And we've come a long way. 3D printers already had success in creating human tissue in a lab, which is amazing and also terrifyingly off-putting to say. However, the do-it-all printers fell short when it comes to intensely delicate and tiny blood vessels that keep things up and running. The co-author of this, what I'll call, spinach study, Joshua Gerschlack, who is a graduate student at the aforementioned WPI, said that the lack of a vascular network is the, quote, main limiting factor for tissue engineering. Without that vascular network, you get a lot of tissue death. And it makes sense, right? It's like the irrigation system delivering all of the necessaries. Oh, and what is the spinach study? Yeah, they made a heart, a human heart, out of a spinach leaf. Now, while the word why is one that might roll around in your head for a moment, as it certainly did mine, let me present to you <clears throat> the spinach, the humble spinachia oleracea, a leafy green vegetable that originated in Persia and belonging to the amaranth family, along with beets and quinoa. It also has a defined network of branching veins, like many other plant leaves, that deliver water and nutrients to its cells, not unlike a human vascular network. You see where I'm going with this. Scientists modify the humble veggie to remove its, well, veggie parts, leaving behind a cellulose frame, which is a material on its own that has already been used for medical applications, from wound healing to varieties of regenerative tissue engineering. Following this process, the frame is taken through another process in which a thin layer of human tissue grows on its surface, so that blood can then flow through the system. And indeed, they have already shown the tiny leaf heart in action, which I'll post to the Fantastically Strange Facebook page this week. It's fantastic and very cool and also kind of nightmarish. I did discover that the liquid flowing through the spinach's tiny veins is, in fact, Sadly, red dye, to demonstrate its functionality, and not actually human blood. But alas, a girl can dream. From a future and functionality standpoint, what this means for those in need of organ transplants or recovering from interior damage, the possibilities are huge, and it shows just how creative and innovative scientists on the medical frontiers are as they find solutions in the seemingly strangest of places. And that is pretty fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Dose of Strange. The bonus story on the Patreon this week takes another peek at history, 
and may shock you. Well, at least it did to those who used this magic band. <laughs> to find out more, check out www.patreon.com slash rocketfox. As for me, come visit for a spell at fantasticallystrange.com and on Instagram at fantasticallystrange and Twitter at fantasticoddpod. As always, thank you so, so much for your support. If you're enjoying the show so far, please let me know. Maybe even a follow, share, or review. I write, research, edit, and do all of the things myself, and am so honored to be able to bring you stories about topics that I'm passionate about, and your ear means the world to me. If you do have any topics you'd like to see, any questions, comments, or just to say hi, email me at fantasticallystrange at rocketfox.com. All sources are linked and credited in the show info. The amazing logo illustration is by Constance Hermit, and the killer intro song, Hey Dorothy, is by Cruise Machine. Thank you so, so much again, and I cannot wait to see you next time. I hope that the new year, 2021, is off to a wonderful and strange start for you. Take care, everybody. Surrender.